You're listening to Rosie on the House. It is the fourth Saturday of the month. That means we're with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm. Woo! Sorry about that. I had to throw it in. No. <laughs> I, I paused myself because uh, I... Your, your title. I wanted to make sure. Urban Farmer... Urban Farm. Yep. Greg, Farmer Greg from the Urban Farm. There you go. <laughs> and today we're here with Kari Spencer from the Microfarm Project. So I'm really excited about that. Hello, hello. If you'd like to join the conversation or want to talk about your urban farm or have questions, it's one 767 4348 That's one 888 for you You can send text questions to info at rosieonthehouse.com or text during the broadcast only is four one one nine two three, and we'll do our best to get you the information you're looking for your own urban farm. The point of this segment with Farmer Greg is to encourage everyone to uh, preserve that bounty. Preserve the bounty. You know, I've I've learned over the past couple of decades that this whole notion of lack, us not having enough, only exists in one place. It exists between our ears. Because when I look at the bounty that I pull off of the trees and the gardens at the urban farm, it's mind-blowing. We're just finishing up the apricot harvest, and I probably had... 800 apricots. And for everyone, if you've never heard this broadcast, you've never heard Farmer Greg describe the urban farm, you, know, you, you, peer, you hear farm, and like you said, between our head, oh, yes. know, my mind goes to acres. Acres. And yeah. what, you know, the, my relatives' farm are is thousands of flooded acres of rice in southwest Louisiana. Right. And miles and miles of levees and uh, water canals and pumps and hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars of equipment and combine and the urban farm is 12,000 square feet 12,000 square feet 80 <laughs> feet 80 feet wide by 160 feet deep and produced 800 apricots and that's just one, one. tree actually two, that was two trees the peaches are coming i'm probably going to have 3 200 300 400 peaches and maybe a thousand apples uh, the apples will be here in the next uh, 2 to 3 weeks so the amount of bounty that is possible is sometimes mind-blowing. And the point of today's broadcast specifically is to preserve that bounty. Yeah, what do you do with all of it? And that's, uh, I always love... I always, <laughs> you can't eat 800 apricots and, right? you know, before they go bad in without a two preserving week, them. In a two-week period. Yeah. So I always like getting Kari in on this conversation because she's such a master at prepping for it. Because I'll tell you what... Uh, you know, let's just call it 800 apricots, um, 500 peaches, and 1,000 apples in a four-week period. You have to plan for it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're scrambling when when you're picking all these things, scrambling to figure out what to do with them, you might be in trouble. That's too late. <laughs> right. Yeah, so we want to think about in advance what we're going to do with the harvest so that we can prepare our recipes, our equipment, all those kinds of things. That way you can uh, save money on buying your equipment. Because if you're looking for a canner at the last second, you're going to pay full price. But if you're looking for a canner in advance, you might be able to find one on, you know, Craigslist or OfferUp or <laughs> somewhere, maybe borrow one exactly. from somebody. Yeah. Um, so we want to think about what we're going to do with this harvest uh, before it gets here. 
And how do you like to can? Do you water bathe or do you pressure cook? I do both, but water bath canning is uh, probably the one that I do the most because tomatoes are the number one thing that I end up canning, and you can water bath can tomatoes. Anything that is high in acid, you can water bath can. Um, anything that is low in acid, like if you had a, a corn harvest or green beans, something like that, you would need to have a pressure canner. And what's the difference between the two? Well, a water bath canner is just uh, pre uh, preparing your canned goods using hot water, boiling it. And that's a timed affair, right? You have to boil for a certain amount of time. Sure. Depending on how many cans and... Yeah, absolutely, and there are lots of recipes and guidelines that can that we're going to uh, share with you how to find those, um, so that you know exactly how long to boil whatever it is that you're making. A pressure canner uses high pressure, <laughs> and in both cases, you still want to wash the cans. I mean, whether they were clean and nothing was in them from last year, we always put a high hot cycle in the dishwasher. Let them get steam clean. The lids, the rings, the the mason jars, yes. all of it. Yeah. So I want just want to distinguish here. We keep saying canning. It's actually not canning. It's jarring. jarring. <laughs> That's right. Because we're putting things in jars for the most part. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, putting things in glass jars. Um, and yes, sterilization is very important. We don't want to have germs in our in our canned goods. Um, also, equally important is to select produce that is not molding or damaged and might be harboring bacteria as well. And if you have sterile jars, you follow the instructions for canning and you uh, start with good produce, then you can have wonderful, safe food and have it on the shelf all year long. Which is great for peaches because you can never have an enough canned peaches, in my opinion. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> is it better to use to when you're doing peaches, for instance? Should they be just barely ripe or very ripe? How do you do? You have a preference of when that gets done? I don't really. Um, I actually prefer riper ones because they're sweeter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, but some people like to pick them a little early to can because they uh, they don't get as mushy in the canning process. However. The riper the peach is, I find it's easier to get the skin off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a whole lot easier the riper they are to get them off the pit. and. It's an impossible job to do clean. You just, you know, you're going to be sticky the whole time. Yeah. Just roll with it. <laughs> yeah, so, and we need to distinguish that. You said to do cling. Clean. <laughs> oh, clean. While you're skinning the peaches and oh, yeah, cutting them go. up. And <laughs> well, but, uh, and what I heard was cling peaches. So you want to speak to that? Yeah, well, a... some peaches uh, come off the stone much easier than others. Uh, cling peaches, those are the ones that are harder or easier, Greg. I don't remember. Cling peaches, the, the pit clings to right. the Right, so they're, the harder. they're harder. They're a lot harder. Mm -hmm. So having a cling-free peach... Um, which most of our peaches are semi-cling or cling-free that we sell through our program, uh, it makes it really easy to get the pit out of them. And in addition to peaches that are coming up, what else is ready to be canned right now? Well, apricots. And as Greg mentioned, apples are just about to come in. And I like to make um, apple pie filling mm -hmm. and can that. And then if I have somebody over, I can just 
make a pie really, really fast. Just pour the the filling that I pre-made into a crust and stick it in the oven, heat it up. And the Anna apples that grow very well in the desert are great for pie filling. By themselves, they're they're tart, Mm -hmm. um, and so they make a very good baking apple. Sure, the Anna apples that we grow here and the Dorset, uh, Dorset Gold, is that what it is? Dorset Golden, yep. Those are kind of a green apple that gets a little bit of a red blush on them, and they are uh, perfect for for making pie filling. Yeah, and they start tart uh, at the beginning of the season. So now is the beginning of the apple season for Phoenix, so the, the apples are tarter. The longer they stay on the tree, the, the sweeter they get. Um, so three weeks from now, we'll actually be eating sweet apples, and we can can them. So we make uh, applesauce. I regularly make applesauce every year or two. Um, and uh, apple chips, and we're going to talk about dehydrating in a little while. But is know. everything a little late this year, Roma? You you went to the peach harvest, and they weren't quite ready. Is, <laughs> are you, are you finding in your in your little farms it's the same thing? Everything's a little later with this cool weather. Yeah, because it was just cool. Yeah, we took the family out to Schnepp Farms, and mm-hmm. we were going to do peaches. And uh, we've got some friends in Santan Valley, and we went over to the olive mill, and we mm-hmm. went over to the pork nice. shop, and we just loaded up on goodies. From the those areas and uh, that we we didn't get, I think we ended up with a, a bag full of peaches. None of them were ripe, but it was just to go two hours and not come home without a peach. And go, <laughs> they're not go. ripe. Go pick a couple, whatever. There you go. <laughs> and thinning them is a critical part. And I, my horses love this time of year. Yep. Every day I'll, I'll get a bucket. I'll go out there and I'll pick off an apple. Till the bucket's full, mm-hmm. and to this day I haven't come back to a spot. You know, an apple cluster it'll have four, five, six mm-hmm. apples on the end of I like the stem. That. Maybe I should take uh, a picture. Just and post like that. that, yeah. And every day I'll just take another one off that cluster and fill mm-hmm. the bucket, and then as I'm feeding hay, drop a couple apples in. The and our youngest horse, Fancy, she's about five, mm-hmm. and you know you're always careful around the horse, but you're extra careful around Fancy. Very high strung mare, very young. Mm-hmm. Still in a lot learning phase and isn't always that comfortable around you. Well, after a week of hand feeding apples, when I'm in the stall cleaning, she like comes up behind me and puts her head over my shoulder and kind of hits the side of my head with her nose. Like, where's my apple? Out? I have more of those apples. Yeah, oh. where's my apple? Exactly. <laughs> apples will tame a wild beast. That's the point of the story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this whole notion of canning, basically what you're doing, it's two step, two major steps. You get a recipe and you prepare something. You know, whether it's applesauce or jam or tomatoes, uh, and that's the process in itself. And then the jarring part is where you actually stick it in jars, cook the jars to, you know, eliminate the any bad microbes. And then when the jars cool off, they're actually sealed. Mm-hmm. And they'll store on the shelf for... Years. Years. If they last that long, though, because you'll <laughs> yeah, want to exactly. open up and eat them. I, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to get a vintage canning book like canning and jarring mm-hmm. um or yeah canning and freezing is a great vintage book published in 1975 recipes that you'll never find anything like it on the shelf in your grocery store but you can make some amazing things impress your friends and make your family very happy give but, an example card well i have a recipe for a chili sauce that i got out of that book is my favorite recipe of all time and um, so I make chili sauce that we use for various things. I just pull it out of the freezer. We can use it for chicken. We can use it for 
beef, pork, whatever. And it is so delicious. It's like nothing that you would ever mm. get from from your market. And um, But it was a recipe from 1975. And mm. since that time, in 1985, the guidelines for canning changed. So I want to just alert everybody that if they are going to do some canning in order to keep it safe, make sure that you are either selecting recipes that were created after 1985 or that you are looking at those guidelines and updating your vintage recipes. And you can find all that information at the National Center for Home Food Preservation. And uh, that is at nchfp.uga.edu. I see you've got pickling and fermenting lined out for segment two. And the most disappointed I've ever been is when I tried my own pickles. Oh, no. Went right back to Mount Olive. (laughs) (laughs) And Velastic. (laughs) I got nothing on either one of them. (laughs) Well, of the four ways that we talk about today, which is canning, pickling, dehydrating, and freezing, uh, pickling and fermenting is the hardest. It is. There's a lot of steps. Um, But there also are more than one way to pickle. There's like three ways to pickle. You can just do fridge pickles where you just put your uh, cucumbers or whatever it is you're pickling in a vinegar solution and stick them in the fridge. No cooking involved. Or there's pickling where you actually can the pickles. And then there's pickling where you ferment them. And fermenting is probably the hardest process, but fermenting also has a lot of benefits because you get the probiotics that are really good for your uh, digestive health. And you can you can um, make your own fermented pickles at home. That's all the rage right now. I mean, kombucha and mm-hmm. they have a lot of the nice krauts and stuff that are fermented. by. Um, so how, what is the different process for fermenting? You just leave it open? Well, you you're yeah, you leave it open to the air, except you want to have something um, covering it like a piece of gauze, something to keep dust and bugs and things out of it. But yeah, um, you would want to get a a good fermenting recipe, which you can get those at the nhf nchfp.uga.edu link that I gave you before, and you can. Um, just put them in the solution according to the recipe. Put them in a dark, cool, dark place and leave them. Are we talking like days, weeks? Um, usually about a week or two. Okay. Yeah. It really calls, you know, you got to check out on the recipe. Again, there's recipes for all of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Roma, you said you didn't like your pickles. Did you, did you bathe them? Did you pressure them, ferment them? We would have water bad water bathed them. Okay. And we followed a recipe we found, and you added dill and garlic, and you know I, I don't know if we're just so spoiled by the Velastic, <laughs> but we we well, took I, a bite of the. And we're like, not even the chickens would eat them. Oh no! <laughs> did you do it? Did you do it once? <laughs> uh, 
I don't I don't think we ever tried it again. Yeah, okay, good. So that's the problem. You know, I'm I'm propagating out some papaya plants here at the Urban Farm right now and you know, I did the first batch and I did uh, 22 and I think I have two of them that are alive. So, it's not a failure, it's just you got to keep practicing. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so, an elimination and, and we process. we have not repracticed that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's definitely a bit of an art, so you do have to try and try again. Um, but Pickling, if you can get the knack of it, it is fantastic because pickling is one of the best things that you can do with those kind of uh, end, odds and ends that come in your garden. Like occasionally at the end of a season, I'll end up with a few squashes, a few this and that, that, you know, maybe not enough to make a meal. But I can put them all together and make a relish. Or a Cornishaw, they would call it in Louisiana, right, Romy? But bigger, bigger pieces, just all kinds of veggies. And that's uh, okras and um, uh, jicama mm. and carrots, okay. at least the recipe we have from Uncle Jerry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cauliflower. Yeah. And you can even pickle melons, can't you? Yes. Melon uh, rinds. Watermelon rinds. You can pickle those. Uh, one of my f- kids' favorite recipes is radish relish. They love that. We put that on everything. You wow. know, my, one of my favorite things to harvest, Rose and I always do prickly pear every year. We've, oh, yes. we've run out of time to do our garden. So mm-hmm. that's our one big deal of going to harvest. And we watch, you know, by the roadside when it's ready. And we get our bucket and our stick for our snakes. And we get out there. So but, what but it, I bet you could pickle them. But we yeah. juice them. We juice them and make prickly pear syrup and stuff. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I have equipment. So I have equipment to process apples. And the way you process apples uh, into cider... That's one of the things that I'll do is I'll make, you know, apple juice out of it. Uh, yeah, I have an apple crusher and an apple press. So you crush the apples and then you press the juice out of them. We can Let's use it for it. prickly pears. Let's do it. Absolutely. My friend Barbara Rose down in Tucson has borrowed my uh, crusher and press before. And, you know, it makes it super easy to get the juice out of them. Did you bring any? Do you have any samples? Of right the now. prickly pears? No, no. <laughs> that probably out of it because they, they come yeah. out like late October, late September. September, October. yeah. This year it's going to be probably November before you. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. one 4348 That's one 888 for you. Our Walter Cronkite grad, Julia Bradshaw, That's is right. call screening for us this morning and is on the phone at the moment. You can send text questions to 411-923 and email to info at rosyonthehouse.com. After the break, we're going to rifle through about five of these questions that have come in. A lot of great stuff. Uh, someone in Mesa wants to know what to plant in a 4 by 4 container. Uh, someone's fertilized citrus at Valentine's Day and lost 90% of the leaves. What to do now? Uh, foul smell and washer, uh, that'll be 9 o'clock. <laughs> you put your green fruit in, you take your green fruit out. You put your green fruit in, and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey, and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. They didn't have anything on apples. That's the closest oh, thing I could find. But they were green apples, so... So I, I just have to say, Ben, the music you play, it has us all dancing. I looked around the studio and everybody's just bopping away. It's to keep warm. That's what Saturday morning's for. <laughs> yeah, keep warm because it's our, 50 we degrees. We keep our guests pickled, cold. No, isn't, <laughs> isn't it amazing this weather we've been having? Yeah. I keep telling friends, it's Memorial Day. What's temperature? It's 52. No, <laughs> no, no, you're lying. I said, no, it's 52 here. Yeah, we moved into a house that has a pool, and we haven't even gotten in it yet. It's I know, all the graduation parties and everything that goes on this time of year, and mm-hmm. you have to find something else to do. 
less than a month away from the summer solstice, and we've only had 200 days. And June's always the hottest month. Right. Yeah. I got our what electric bill. I got our electric bill this morning. <laughs> it's <about> $53. That's <laughs> like, whoa. Never. I'm Never. loving my bill, too. Yeah? Yeah. Head start on Christmas. There you go. <laughs> so I'm really excited, really excited about something um, this year that we've done. Uh, Kari Spencer and I own a company called GrowPHX. You can find it at growphx.com. And um, we've been doing it, what, maybe five or six years now? We keep saying five or six years, but I think it's maybe six or seven years Six or seven years. And we do cool things. We do gardening events. Uh, Well, last year we purchased a mesquite bean hammer mill. Now, I think you're the only one in the Phoenix area. It it is the only one one that I know of, especially the only public one that I know. And a mesquite hammer mill, you can see it on our website. It's not a slouchy piece of equipment. It's $12,000 for this piece of equipment. It's not an Indian mott. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. A matate? Matate. Matate. Matate, yes. Yeah. And um, it's huge. And we bought it to do public milling so that you all out there can actually collect your own beans. We're going to have some walkabouts teaching out how to go out and harvest them because they have to be harvested off the tree. You want to make sure you taste one so it tastes good. Then you can harvest them and dry them, and then you can bring them to us on the 28th and 29th of June to um, you know to mill. So you'll bring us a five-gallon bucket of mesquite beans, and we'll mill it down to a few pounds of uh, mesquite flour for you. And it is delicious flour. Oh. It's kind of got a sweet, nutty kind of flavor. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do <laughs> absolutely Because incredible. the hammer mill that up till now was in Tucson, I never could make it down there because it's right. on Saturday morning. And so I would put it in my bullet. So it takes quite a while yes. to grind <laughs> in this, in, you know, in a, what, a couple of In a of magic pies. bullet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a magic bullet. So I'm, yeah. I, you put me first in line there. I'm on, I'm on it. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah. and I do want to do a shout out to Dale Creek Equestrian Center. They're on Dysart and Camelback Road. We were out there and visiting with them. Really cool people out there. They have, she says 75, and I, I believe it's 75 native mesquite trees out there that are harvestable. So we will actually be out there on June 22nd doing a walkabout and a harvest if you want to come out and visit with us. Uh, that's on our calendar at urbanfarm.org, and I'm sure Janice has it at growphx.com as well on our mm-hmm. on our calendar. But we've got some really, really cool mesquite events coming up. In the next couple of weeks, you can go to urbanfarm.org. On the front page, we've got Brad Lancaster talking about mesquite. We've got in a webinar, an online webinar, so you don't ever have to leave your home. we got Peggy Sorensen, a local forager here in town, doing a webinar. Um, so uh, you'll be able to learn online in your living room. And mm-hmm. yeah. I hope I see your writing, Gary. I hope you're writing down satellite equipment to be ready June 22nd, because that is a Saturday, and it's in June, so I'm imagining it's going to be early in the morning. It is. So one of us oh, yeah. needs to have the oh, satellite equipment. Oh, you want to come equipment. out there? Yeah. And oh, do, yes. Yeah. And do the Urban Farm segment, because that's the fourth Saturday of the month. It is the fourth Saturday. So that one's going to be okay, live out at Date Creek Equestrian Center? Uh, Dale Creek Dale Equestrian Creek. Center. Yeah, right. yeah. Dysart That'll be Camelback. Cool. Yeah. I'm trying to picture that because you're coming north on Dysart. There's a little hill, uh-huh. and you kind of come up, and all of a sudden you're, you're. It's in the dip. Just a few, you know, you, all of a sudden Luke Air Force is just there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in, the it's in the dip. Cool. 
Yeah. Very cool. Well, All I'm right. sure I'm sure they'll be excited about it. We'll have to it, arm it. wrestle mom to see who which one of us is going to be out there and who's going to be in the studio. Right, I'm going to I'm going to hold you on to that cuz cuz I said earlier I have to figure out how to be in two places at once. Well, the, there we go. Satellite equipment. Nice. Modern age of radio broadcasting. Yeah. <laughs> Good old so, Comrex. So and you know, and the whole notion of preservation is what we're talking about today. Oh, Once yeah. you mill the flour, basically I stick it in jars and stick it in the freezer and it'll last for years. Yeah, it will. And it's a wonderful low glycemic flour. It, yep. There's no gluten in it. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's a great sweet. alternative flour. It's Absolutely delicious for bread or pancakes. And, you know, if you can't come out to the event and you don't have your own mesquite tree, I bet your neighbor does. And you could probably ask them if you could grab some <laughs> some pods from them. So it's a wonderful item that even if you don't grow your own mesquite, it's all over the valley. I was going to say, I, I don't, you can't go dig up cactuses out of the desert, but we're going to have to do a little research. I don't know that I you... I just wrote that down. Yeah. Can you just take a bucket out in the desert? You know, you can go pick prickly proud. Don't tell it? anybody, but yes. <laughs> oh. Yeah, just go pick away. But here's, uh, again. You have to know when. You can't unplant something. I mean, you can't, right. like you, you said, dig up when. a plant. You have to absolutely know when, which is in June. You want to harvest in June. You want to pull a bean off of the tree, snap it in half, and nibble on the end. And if it tastes like something you want to eat, harvest away. And then you have to dry them. There's a drying process. And we're going to cover that in our webinars. And we're going to cover that in our walkabouts. We're doing a walkabout at Granada Park. Uh, on a Friday and Saturday in June, so you'll be able to come out and meet with us and, you know, see the process live. I'll have Jim put that on our Rosie on the House calendar as well. So if you're looking for that, again, you can find it. Yeah, so where would you go harvest uh, mesquite in the desert? Well, let's see, mesquite wash would be the obvious place Mm -hmm. to start. Yeah. Thousands of places. Anywhere, uh, just just drive towards a mountain and look for the wash and the drainage off the mountain, and you're going to find... It, more mesquites than you know what to do with. Oh, I'm sure there's millions of pounds out there that never get. And do watch harvested. where you're walking because that's snake season. So oh, yes. Just be exactly. careful. <laughs> wear, wear good wear boots, boots and mm-hmm. Levi's. Yeah. And good gloves. All right. Before we get to dehydrating, a couple of these questions that have come in. A four by four above ground garden in Mesa. What would you plant? My question back to that homeowner is what do you like to eat? Yep. Well, I've been on enough that you know the answers. That's... Then you replaced me. Yeah, if you don't like eggplant, don't plant it. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing is go to plantingcalendar.org. There you go. That's our free planting calendar. To know the what farm. grows now, and then you can exactly. say, hey, I like okra. I'll plant some okra. Exactly. Okra, melons, uh, peppers are still probably, you can still get peppers in the ground. Yeah, I think so. Anything that's fast growing and, um, you know, definitely pick some choose something that you like to eat and yeah look at the season what can grow now and i would also do a little research on the mature size of that plant so that you don't oh yes over plant yeah yeah i got one uh i think it's a pumpkin growing in the backyard and it's filled up a space 10 by 10 so far and it's just four weeks old Mm -hmm. nice so william snapped a picture in and i'm going to see if you guys can get a a close-up it might be hard but he has a citrus tree, mm-hmm. and he fertilized that Valentine's Day, and it looks like this now. And he's like, what happened? Well, that, I don't think, y'all will have to share your opinion. I don't think that has anything to do with fertilizing. I've got a couple trees that look like that that are citrus. We had a cold winter, and you're looking, at, you're looking at frost damage, and those are branches that were already dead that yeah. don't have any new leaf growth. Just trim those out, fertilize, uh Memorial Day is the second fertilizing in the three, and 
you're going to be good to go. I'm just, I'm just kicking <laughs> back here, man. You're doing a great job. I, I have spent two weeks trimming my citrus. Yeah. And I got my last one done last night. Oh, nice. And I, I still keep them low. They mm-hmm. like to shade their branches and their trunks. and uh, But underneath there, a lot of new shoots were coming up. And you had yep. suckers that were coming in. And I wanted to prune out the interior so that it puts the fruit out on the exterior, make it easier to pick. And just how much it cleaned up everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and what you'll notice that, so citrus typically have branches that die. It's just part of their growing process. And what'll happen is when you go out and re, go in and remove all of those dead branches, uh, like you did, you're going to see a flush of growth over the course of the next six, eight weeks that'll blow your mind. So you did what you did right. Now, you won't get fruit on that new flush this Not season. This year, That'll right? come next year or yep. the year after. It likes to put its fruit on mature limbs and yeah. not the new growth. That's right. just uh, what you get to look forward to next year and how big mm-hmm. it'll be starting off the next growing cycle. Yeah, exactly. All right, dehydrating. Oh, one of our favorite ways to and, process food. And the easiest way, really. Yeah. Yeah, and Greg, you just got a brand uh, new dehydrator. I, I just bought a stainless steel dehydrator that's 16 square feet of trays in it, so... <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's what? a monster. <laughs> 16 it's a, square feet? 16 That's bigger feet. than most bedrooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to sell that? Are you going to sell or that? Or 16 by 16 is, is what I was thinking. You can't have the guest room at Greg's That's, house. Yeah, there you go. That's <laughs> bigger <laughs> than your pantry, most pantries. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's really super simple. You see that we have apples and peaches and apricots here. What I do with the apricots is I cut them in half, take the pit out, stick them in the dehydrator. And they make this tart, chewy... Candy. Candy, exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. With the uh, peaches, I haven't quite perfected the peaches yet. Have you? Yeah, I don't, really, I don't really um, dehydrate peaches unless I make a peach fruit, fruit leather. leather. Yeah, Tell us about fruit leathers. That's an amazing thing. I absolutely... This is my favorite thing to do, mm-hmm. is to make fruit leather, especially with apples and peaches. Uh so what what you want to do to make a fruit leather in a dehydrator is just puree up your produce, add whatever flavor you want to it. If you want to put some agave nectar or some stevia, you know, yeah, some stevia, uh, maybe some cinnamon, nutmeg, Ooh. and then you know puree it up. Put some parchment paper on your dehydrator tray and spread that out in a thin layer. And then stick it in your dehydrator until it's uh, leathery. And then I just cut that parchment into strips, roll it up, put it in a jar, and we have fruit leather that has no preservatives. It's a lot less expensive than buying the fruit leather at the store. A and lot better tasting. Yes, and it, it, it takes a lot longer to make than, than as long as it lasts on my shelf. My, <laughs> as soon as it's out, everybody's eating it, so... All right, so sometimes I'm a little dense, but we've had this conversation many times over the years, and I'm sitting over here with my jaw dropping. It's like, oh, my gosh, I can do that. That is so simple. It's very, very easy to do. (laughs) How thick is that puree? I make the puree um, thick enough that I can spread it out and it doesn't just run off the edges. You can always make, you know, bend up the edges of the parchment a little bit, but if it's really watery, it takes a long time to dehydrate. And uh, so you want it to be thick, like applesauce, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, consistency. Well, we could do the same thing with apples, right? 
Oh, yes. I, I Basically, I make an apple pie filling and I puree it oh, and make nice. apple pie fruit leather. It's making me hungry fruit right now. Fruit leather. Fruit leather. I've never heard that term before. Have you ever had a fruit roll-up? Do you know what that is? I have seen those. I, <laughs> yeah, those are the I think I had one way back in commercial. the day, and that was so... Uh, I didn't like the way it stuck to my teeth. I think it was the last one I ever had. They're kind of you plastic them, from the store. <laughs> yeah, you can make them so much better at home, and they're very, very healthy, and it's like a, a treat for your kids. <laughs> you can get this information and listen to it again if you missed something or... Uh, wanted to listen to how the process goes again, rosieonthehouse.com. Gary will have the podcast up uh, shortly after the broadcast, which goes all the way till 11. So it's not like when the 8 o'clock hour is done, but you know, before noon, it's generally up on the podcast. Said the apple to the orange, oh, I wanted you to come close to me and kiss me to the core. He's laughing. Then you might know me. Like no other orange has ever done before. The way Gary was um, laughing, I thought, the line's coming. Yeah, the apple to the orange, I want to kiss you. The, the thing is this, you know, every artist has to start somewhere. You know who that is? That recognize that? I do recognize the voice, but I couldn't tell you. I was Al gonna... Stewart. Oh, of course. Yes, Al Stewart. I love the, Al again, Stewart. Again, the lamest song he pro- early in his career. Of course, he went on to produce probably the biggest song ever made in the 70s, The Year of the Cat. So, oh yes, um, <laughs> that one's horrible, <laughs> but it fits the but theme. Fitting, yes, yes. Our final segment: we're going to the wrap up freezing, uh, and we've got finding produce. If you're not growing yours, there's a lot of great resources. But uh, Julia walked in during the break with a question about the fruit leather. Well, uh, this has got a lot of people's attention. And the question was... Do you have to have space between the layers of the fruit leather? Well, if you have a commercial dehydrator that you purchased, there are trays. So you would put your parchment, a piece of parchment on the tray, spread out one layer of fruit leather on each tray. So there is space between. Um, But if you don't have a commercial dehydrator, you're in luck in Phoenix, in Arizona, because we're so dry that uh, you can dehydrate without a dehydrator. You could spread it out on a cookie sheet with some parchment paper and, you know, tent it with something to keep the flies off and the dust off and uh, just let it dry right there on your kitchen counter or out on a patio. Fruit leather. I'm going to have to try this. It sounds like a lot of fun. Well, I'm excited too now because I've got apricots and peaches and apples that we could, you know, just stick them in the blender and... Blend away, man. Yeah. Freezing, pretty self-explanatory, or is it? Well, yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's one of the easiest ways to preserve food, one that people are probably most familiar with uh, because we buy frozen stuff all the time. Um, But, yeah, freezing is very, very easy to do. Yeah, basically what I do with with, uh, peaches and apricots is I remove the pit out of them. So I cut them in half, remove the pit, stick them on a cookie tray in the freezer. So I freeze them overnight, and then I pull them out, stick them in a jar. I found that uh, I've had some apricots a few years ago that were in the freezer for a couple of years in a jar. And they didn't freezer burn because of the jar. So I always store now in in glass in the freezer. I just get, you know, gallon jars. and um, As opposed to... Um 
plastic. Plastic bags. Yeah. Or even pl- plastic containers even. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. It, it basically holds everything in there, and they just don't freezer burn. It's like awesome. The key is to remember what's in your freezer. <laughs> label. That's the hard part. <laughs> yeah. Label, and and label. when it was put in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always find things in the back when I'm cleaning out my freezer and think, oh, man, we should have eaten that before it freezer burned. But I, Greg mentioned something key, that he puts his apricots in the freezer on a cookie sheet in a single layer. That's great for berries. Anything else that you want to freeze individually so that you don't end up with just a big clump. Um, so, Greg, when you fr- when you freeze your apricots in that mm-hmm. single layer and then put them in the jar after they're frozen, then you can take out just what you want to eat in the exactly. moment. You don't exactly. have to thaw the entire jar. Exactly. So one each. And uh, the reason I do that is I, I like green drinks. I drink green drinks most mornings. And I put the apricots in the green drinks. And so it's nice to be able to grab a gallon jar. I stick my hand in and I grab maybe a dozen apricots, stick it in my green drink, and I'm done. Um, Because they come out like individual ice cubes Mm -hmm. when you do them that way. So that's, you know, that's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of the things that my family really likes to do is to make pesto because we always have so much basil that grows in the summertime. And we just put those in ice cube trays. We make the pesto. We put it in ice cube trays, and then we have little individual servings of, of pesto. That's another way to save lemon juice as well. Put it in the trays, and then you can use it to flavor your water mm-hmm. or whatever you want, a little recipe, whatever you need, Yeah. rather than cutting open a whole lemon for a teaspoon. Right. Now, we have Farmer Greg in every month to help encourage you to grow your own food. And a lot for some people, uh, you know, that's still not practical. They might be uh, too busy, mm-hmm. not interested. But I'll tell you what they are. They're still hungry every day. And they're still going to find a way to eat. And we've got, uh, according to 2017 census, over 19,000 farmers in Arizona. Love that. So how do we go find our own produce if we're not growing it ourselves to at least maybe do our own preserving? Because Mm -hmm. I said I... I still have not been able to figure out how to can enough peaches to last a whole year. Sure, yeah. Yes. Well, there's U-Pick. The Johnson Johnson Brothers out on the west side, they mm-hmm. have a U-Pick. I know that Schnepp Farms out in the East Valley does a U-Pick. Uh, you know, so you can actually go do a U-Pick. Uh, that's one possibility. Didn't you just have the one of the Johnson Brothers on the... January? Yep. Of 2018. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> just, just had them. Just, just had them. But a good memory. They run the U of A uh, citrus. What used to be What the used U to be a. the U of A. They now have it at 75 acres of citrus. So that's more for your, you know. Citrus only? Oh, okay, good. Later, well, in, the, later in the season, and December, January, February. Is this a time, good time you to go to Apple Annie's Farm as well, right? Because they'll be harvesting. And Wilcox, they're mm-hmm. a higher elevation. Okay. My guess yeah. would be they're a couple months the behind. Fall. Yeah, those okay. will be. That'll be in the fall. Farmer Greg, urbanfarm.org. Yep. How do we get signed up for this mesquite milling? I Go to urbanfarm.org on the front page. This, they're down the right-hand side. And your website? Cityfarmingbook.com. There you go. Kari Spencer, thanks for joining Farmer Greg this morning. We'll see you all on the 22nd from Dale Creek Ranch, Dysart, and the Camelback, Camelback Road.